All right. Hi, everybody. It's our CFB Talk 149. It's Tuesday night. And just astonishing how much has happened since we left off last Tuesday, because really everything started to go go wild. So I guess, you know, that's great. That's what we were kind of expecting to happen earlier in the season, perhaps, you know, in February. And here we are, August, you know, why not? Let's let's have everything go completely off the rails in August. So that's what we have now. We're not really necessarily getting as hyped for the season like we normally do. We're just here to actually just let, let's start talking about what's going on everywhere in college football. So before we begin, and I see we already have someone who wants to come up to talk, and I will, we want to hear from you. If you hit request, we'll let you up. We can hear your voice and add it to the conversation. I just wanted to say we've started to do a few more guests. We're actually starting tomorrow at noon Eastern. We're going to have none other than Phil Steele, the man who creates probably – our favorite football preview guide. I've been reading Phil Steele's college football guide since long before Reddit, at least college football Reddit ever existed. So that's going to be excited to have him for show 150. We actually had him for show number 50. Just sort of coincidentally ended up that way. So recommend if you like listening to a little bit more interview style, we're going to be having Phil Steele tomorrow at noon Eastern. But all that said, let's go ahead and bring some folks up here. I see go tigers going to go ahead and let you up and, um, I know we're going to have a few more people who want to come up and join, so you're all welcome to to be a part of the conversation. What's going on? LSU's winning the national championship. (laughs) Didn't you call last week and say that too? Yeah. (laughs) I love the commitment. Yeah, we talked about that. I mean, LSU certainly has a path. It's not, like, completely unheard of. So, I mean, they, uh, you know, Brian Kelly can coach. He's got seemingly a great depth of talent there. I don't think there's any reason why it is, isn't possible. I mean, well, there are reasons why it might not be possible. And, of course, there are Alabama LSU at all. And Auburn's now finally recruiting again. Um, I've been reading all about what's going on there under freeze. But, I mean, LSU's got the ability to do it. It's great to hear from you. I want to go ahead and shift over to uh, Ozzy Maverick. You've been patient. What's going on there, man? Yeah, I think that last person is one of the most insanely idiotic people I've ever heard of. At no point in his rant incoherent ramblings that represent anything that represents a rational thought so i've got someone else who wants to come up here looks like my uh co-host andrew wants to join here people got pretty hot over there i know it's good to have rivalry it's good to see lsu and arkansas fans again if you'd like to talk about anything college football feel free to uh raise up your hand but yeah you know so i just want to obviously catch up a little bit for those who may have somehow been under a rock since we were last here on Wednesday, that was like, because we do these Tuesday night, on Wednesday, all hell broke loose with Colorado, um, rumored to leave. And then pretty quick, we saw things kind of go off the rails. I mean, it's so fun to kind of go back and look at the uh, the headlines. I mean, Colorado, you know, Pete Thamel was saying, you know, Colorado is in discussions about a move to the Big 12. And then within a day, we hear Brett McMurphy you know, basically saying that uh, Colorado is leaving the Big 12. And, you know, within a few days from that, Colorado was already, it was basically as quick as a little over a year ago when USC and UCLA bolted. Like, no one, we all, well, okay, that one was a total surprise. Here, people knew Colorado was kind of interested, just like Arizona's been kind of interested in going to the Big 12. But then, like, overnight, poof, like, suddenly it just, it was enacted. The Big 12 was ready to accept them. Um, I do really deeply get a kick out of uh, the entirety of the statement from Brett Yormark was they're back. So 
again, you know, as some of the Colorado fans have been joking, you know, we uh, sorry went to um, we went to, to get a pack of smokes from the corner store and vanished for ten years, but we're back. So uh, <laughs> you know, here we go again. But hey, I just want to. I see we have someone else who wants to come up here, but I first wanted to just uh, hear from you, uh, Andrew. What's going on? Not too much. How are you doing, my friend? Good, good. It's been fun offseason. I mean, obviously the Pac-12 had their meeting today, and we're getting all the reports on what that media deal was. I don't think we have the exact details, but all the reports seem to indicate it was primarily a streaming uh, online kind of contract <clears throat> with Apple, uh, you know, using Apple Plus, Apple TV, um, with some kind of, I guess, clause where if they bring in, if they manage to pull in subscribers, the amount of the agreement could reach the Big 12 because the Big 12 is getting like 31 million per team. Right now, it sounds like, and, and we were getting indications of this before whatever the meeting was today. And again, we don't know the exact details. It hasn't been leaked. But basically, the Pac-12 is saying, okay, we can get all of you 20 million or so. But there are potential, I love the quote, escalators in the clause, um, which I mean, hey, escalators turn into stairs if they break. But, you know, escalators into this particular deal where it could go above the Big 12's contract. However, and, and I really agree with, I mean, Stuart Mandel, he put it best. He's like, look, Larry Scott told the schools on uh, that the Pac-12 network was going to, uh, he sold them on it because I remember this. The Pac-12 network was actually a really interesting idea when it was proposed you know, over a decade ago. The idea was, hey, if we fully own this network and it really takes off and does what the Big Ten network did, we won't have to share this pot of money with Fox or you know, who is the partner with the Big Ten network. And, of course, we all know that just did not work. That completely imploded. And uh, it didn't go anywhere. The DISH network is, like, only when you could get it on. You know, that's been the running gag. I mean, <laughs> Arizona's Board of uh, Regents for the entire Arizona, I think, school system was meeting. And they immediately went into a private uh, executive meeting so no one could listen in. And the joke was that that might mean they're staying in the Pac-12 because they made it impossible to follow what was going on in their discussions. But yeah, so that's where we are now. But that so that's on my mind, Andrew. How about yourself? Well, it's UCF is a month into its new conference, and it's already uh, it's already going through another round of realignment. It's very interesting. Um, I can tell you from personal experience, as well as talking to. UCF fans, we're very fortunate that we're in a stable conference now. Um, not that the AAC wasn't stable, but a stable P5 conference, I guess you could say. And, you know, I, it's tough to see the Pac-12 going through this. I mean, as, as much as I have uh, schadenfreude about how uh, Scott and – whoever their new commissioner is. George Klyovkov, um, yeah. Klyovkov, Gesundheit. Huh. Oh, by the way, that was an amazing dad joke about the escalator and stairs. Oh, uh, I can't even on that claim one. that. I think that was, uh, that, that was probably <laughs> been done to the death. You know, I mean, at this point, you know, we're looking at, you know, the other thing that, that came up, and I know SI reported that if Arizona leaves to the Big 12 and Arizona State stays in the Pac-12, and that's the weird part. Arizona State, I know Arizona, I think to the credit of Arizona, their, you know, their president, uh, Robert Robbins, has been way more 
aggressive in saying like, look, we will consider the Big 12, but we want to see the Pac-12 deal first. And now they've heard the Pac-12 deal, so maybe this is the, this is the moment they bolt. But um, at the same time, Arizona State has been kind of, you know, fine, I guess, with staying in the conference. From what I understand, their president, who's kind of on his way out, I mean, because he's been there forever, not because they're pushing him out. He was always kind of in Larry Scott's corner for most of his time there. So I think maybe that's part of it. But if the, the report that, as I said, if Arizona State goes to the Big 12 and they presumably make more money in the short run and probably likely in the long run, the regents would have the power to force Arizona to pay Arizona State compensation on the difference in the media contract, kind of like what's happening because the California University of California regents are forcing UCLA to pay Cal um, basically, as I say, calimony, as it was nicknamed, um, to make up for all the money that Cal is going to be losing now that UCLA is getting paid. One of the better jokes, and, and isn't a, anyone can, you can hear the voice in your head, I, and I'm going to credit um, Minnesota fan, get him a, if your loved one has been screwed over by conference realignment, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Uh, so, or, you know, and again, you know, Georgia fan it's said, like, It's so true. It's so true. <laughs> It's, um, I guess, one comment about what I think about the, the potential Apple deal if it runs the way that it does, as it's reported. I could see it working. I mean, MLS is doing that right now. Um, it, it certainly is a pain in the ass, though, because if you don't have Apple or you're not willing to add yet another streaming service to probably the zillion. At this point, we're back to cable at this point with how much money we're paying for streaming services. But that's a, that's a Hail Mary sort of deal there. Yeah. It's either going to work out very oh, well don't. for the Pac-12 <laughs> Or it is going to fail spectacularly. Oh, I think it's I think it's I think it's dead on arrival in a lot of ways. Only because you can't really just stumble into watching a game with with streaming. You have to seek it out, and this was something that we talked about. And it's funny, even some of the other reporters around um, college football have been kind of basically just reposting what they wrote in February when some of these rumors were coming out. Only because you, you can't really just stumble onto a game. You, you have to seek it out. And that's part of what makes, I think, especially a college, pardon me, casual college football fan enjoy it so much because you can just kind of, oh, hey, what's on ESPN? What's on Fox? What's on, uh, you know, NBC? Well, sometimes it's Notre Dame. Oh, my God, who knew? But I mean, it, but at the same time, you know, that, that kind of goes out the window. Uh, again, the idea of just suddenly, and I apologize, I kind of got off the track here, but as the point that um, Mandel was making, and I agree with this, is they already tried this kind of crazy, like, oh, well, if it hits, it's going to hit big. And now they're being asked, well, here's our latest you know, scheme. Why don't we do a streaming service? Uh, and then if we somehow pull in X number of subscribers, we'll get some kind of financial incentive. I, I could see why they'd be sour to that. That's the whole reason that entire model is what soured the entire Pac-12 to the point that they lost USC and UCLA and now Colorado. Um, I think a lot of folks have to remember because, I mean, you'll sometimes see on, you know, in lots of avenues on Reddit, on Twitter or X or whatever, um, or, you know, wherever you'll get some fans that are more tech savvy saying like, this is the future. Streaming is the future. You know, mostly I think the average age of a cable subscriber right now is somewhere in the 60s at this point. I've heard that number bandied about. But at the same time, 
all of these folks who are making these decisions, they're going to be very, you know, and again, small C conservative, traditional, they're going to be thinking, you know, that I am responsible for this program. You know, I have a, you know, obligation to, to bring in a steady stream of money and to not even be sure you can hit some of those higher numbers. All you're told is like, okay, here's the base amount. Let's say it's 20 million because that's roughly what's being reported with a chance of getting into a range that might be the, the big 12. But I mean, that is, that is high risk. It's not certain. Um, if you're a person who works in kind of these larger sort of um, these kind of larger entities, you tend to be a little bit more, you know, careful about it. And this is, this kind of a deal is going to seem radical. I mean, I, I think we're all waiting to see how soon it's going to be until Arizona just says, all right, well, we heard their offer. Big 12, uh, Big 12, we know what you were getting with you. Let's move over there. And one thing I wanted to add before we move on, because I know we have someone in the queue waiting to speak, but if this reminds me a little bit of that Oklahoma Army game from a few years ago. I think it was 2019. I think we're going to eventually see instances where, well, hopefully we don't have to – look at the feet of the illegal streamer for the entire game, but you're going to see people migrating en masse to watching these illegally streamed games, and that's going to kneecap the, the conference deal as is. Uh, the number of illegal piraters is, we're back in like the 1700s at this point. Uh, so, I mean, that that's the huge risk, and Unless they can find a way to crack down on that, I don't know how this deal is going to work out. Yeah. So, and I want to go ahead and let's let a couple of other folks join in. Sorry about the delay. Let's hear state football. What's going on? Even super patient. Um, I was just wondering if um, I've been hearing rumors of Clemson joining the Big Ten. <clears throat> that would be, well, okay. And, and it's interesting because the ACC is one of the more interesting kind of conferences in all of that because, you know, and I know. It, of all the reporters, I know Nicole Auerbach, she thinks that's like the most intriguing one of them all because we've talked about it. It kind of, again, February was kind of a crazy month for a lot of this stuff. Florida State brought up the fact that they were uncomfortable with, uh, and it came up because, again, it was uh, their public school. It was at a public board meeting where um, I believe it was the athletic director presented the information on this. They said, look, we're not going to be making as much money with the ACC. Um, you know, Vanderbilt's now making more money than we are because they're by they're still a member of the SEC. Uh, and I know there is a big push because the ACC, as we've talked about before, has designed a really strong grant of rights deal. That's what they call it. It's basically you can't leave early without paying a penalty. And the penalty is enormous. It's over like $100 million. And uh, there were very strong indications that – Florida State and to a lesser extent Clemson were taking um, – Florida State was going really kind of into sort of checking internally how can they challenge this grant of rights deal? How can they get out of the conference and maybe join the SEC or, or wherever? And after a few weeks, it kind of just quietly went away, which was a strong indication that, you know, that's a problem when you have so many top schools in that conference with good lawyers. They wrote something that's really hard to get out of without spending a horde of money to leave it. So – the reason I lay that groundwork is because the ACC has been the curious one because obviously Florida State and Clemson, especially Clemson's recent uh, success, you know, puts it in a level where you, uh, it, they'd be desirable to so many conferences. I mean, especially with the success on the field, they're top 
you know, they're fine uh, public university, all of that. So mentioning that, um, I, I, it would be, I could see where, if they were to leave, they would be attracted. There's basically like four teams that seem to come up whenever they say if the ACC were to break apart, what teams would be the ones that would be the most attractive? And obviously Clemson, Florida State, and then, you know, oddly enough, North Carolina and uh, Virginia, if you think about the fact that they're academically strong universities and they pull in some pretty populated areas that may not be covered. I always think Georgia Tech should be thrown in there only because Atlanta might be attractive to any other conference that isn't the SEC which has it on lockdown for, for its own purposes. But I think if that ever comes up, and that therein lies the question, because Clemson's come up also, because the other question is, let's say the Pac-12 does implode, because at this point, really, it's, it's, I'm not saying it's happening, but it's certainly a f- much more feasible than it's ever been. If Arizona suddenly says, we're leaving, and the Pac-12 is left with eight teams, there could be a chance they're going to say, all right, San Diego State, SMU, please join us. Um, we know we kind of, you know, jerked SDSU around a little bit too much because now they're stuck in a situation where they'll have to pay a much larger penalty to leave because they didn't leave by uh, July 1st. But um, that might happen. But if, if that happens, the thought is, what would happen to the rest of the teams? Could the ACC do kind of a, a crazy like, hey, would four of you like to become the Western wing of the ACC? It's come up in surprisingly legitimate corners of discussion as, as a theoretical possibility. I'm not saying it would happen, but, you know, what would happen if Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal suddenly became part of the ACC and they rename it? I think Andy Staples put it best. They call themselves like the Coastal Elites Conference or something like that. But um, I, uh, if that happens, the question is, would that also alter the grant of rights deal? And would that suddenly break the entire ACC open? Or is there another way? Will Florida State or Clemson just finally have a bunch of donors that say, like, you know, whatever, we'll just pay all this money. Or maybe we'll figure out a way to structure it to uh, to make it work. It hasn't happened yet, but the moment the ACC starts to show weakness, I guarantee you Clemson's going to have offers thrown at it because they're just such an attractive program for multiple reasons. And, I mean, if I'm the Big 12, probably if I'm the, excuse me, if I'm the Big 10, they'd be more attractive than they would the SEC because the SEC already has, you know, a, a South Carolina program. I mean, if we're still going by the numbers of TV, I mean, I'm not sure there's value in entrenching, although Clemson's such a strong brand. I, that, there's, the, there's the other side of it, too. I mean, you could also make the same you know, argument that, well, the SEC already still had Texas A&M, but Texas is such a strong brand. Clemson and Florida State are strong brands. I'm not sure they would compare quite like Notre Dame would Notre Dame is still the team where if they said they would join you, every conference seems to be able to would, would absolutely say yes. It would be bonkers not to for the amount of money that would be suddenly on the table to have them in your conference. But certainly those are the two in the ACC that have the most strength to them. And, and to an extent Miami as well. I'm sorry. I keep always forgetting about Miami and, uh, Miami's having its own problems. It's so funny. Before before all this stuff started to go down, I thought we were going to be talking about what's going on with Miami's boosters, uh, but uh, apparently they they got they've been overshadowed. So I, I I'm sure they're happy about that. But um, I think it's a great question. I just I'm not sure at this point when it would happen and how it would happen. I think that's the biggest question. No one's sure how the ACC would come out, would come apart at this point. But uh, and that's all I have to say about that. Sorry, <laughs> that was kind of a long, long-winded answer. And well, you also mentioned North Carolina and Virginia, and that would also boost uh, basketball revenue too. Oh, absolutely! You know, to me, the most amazing thing is Brett Yormark, like suddenly thinking. I mean, because I'm not saying suddenly, but he put some thought into this. Because 
UConn has been mentioned as potentially the next team. If I, I think I wonder if UConn is being kept on tap if Arizona just decides not to leave. Because UConn kept coming up, kept coming up, and I was wondering why. I mean, their their football team is kind of, you know, it's not as dormant as it has been, but and uh, but their basketball's strong. But we've we've talked about this before in previous um, uh, cycles. Basketball isn't usually enough to make it as strong. Otherwise, Kansas would be a lot more in play than it is um, in a lot of these re- uh, realignment talks. However, I read a good argument that said, you know, like. If you get UConn, you've got a winning program in hoops, and you really actually do considerably start to maybe bring in New York, which at least in my mind is a better argument than the Rutgers one. The Rutgers one, which is why the Big Ten took Rutgers, was like, oh, we're going to get in the New York market. And most people were like, oh, okay. Um, it is sort of in the, you know, it is sort of by New York, and uh, you get an interesting slice of that population. But the idea of suddenly bringing in, you know, UConn and bringing in a, a hoops winner in a city that where you could have a game, you could have a tournament at Madison Square Garden and all that stuff, it makes some sense. And again, Brett Yormack used to be obviously with the Nets. He used to be the president of the Nets for many years, so he understands hoops. He understands New York City, and I could see why in his head that might be something. But uh, we'll see. It could be that really what they're ultimately going to do is probably be happy to accept Arizona if it seems like they're. They may head in that direction, given all the tea leaves that we're seeing. Um, you know, I wanted to go ahead, and also we have someone else who's up here too. Uh, Chase Nielsen, what's going on? You've been super patient. We're going to try to get to as many folks as we can. Andrew Sagona, Reddit CFB. Guys, I am loving the discussion on conference realignment. Obviously, it's super exciting. We're right at the threshold of a new college football season. And while it may be stressful for some that uh, maybe in the, the west coast the pac-12 teams might i remind you that the kibbe dome reigns supreme <laughs> and that the the idaho vandals are going to take the big sky by storm so let's not forget about fcs football let's increase viewership and let's have a great football season yeah the funny thing is that's somebody wrote an article about that i'm trying to remember who which writer um i think it was oh gosh um Oh, but that was one of the things I, I'm trying to look for it. I have it. Yeah, Brett Sally. You know, the Pac-12 is on the verge of collapse. Only one school can save it. Now is the time to welcome Idaho and the Kibbe Dome back to FBS. You know, hey, listen, I, I, founding members. They're- I was about to say they were. And, and it was kind of funny because in those days, like this is before this is, I think, when rail travel was a primary way. They used to play basically the, what was the predecessor of the Pac-12 played in pods, basically. So. Um, Montana and Idaho were in what was the Pac-12, but they wouldn't like go down and play. I think USC and UCLA, or I, I don't even know if UCLA was in the Pac-12 at that point, but USC has played them at the, in those years like maybe a grand total of you know three times over 12 years, and it's because they just wouldn't really make they wouldn't do the same level of conference scheduling that we do now. Um, but yeah, no, exactly that 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 would be kind of a fun throwback to history. Um, <laughs> You know, the, imagine that the Pac-12 rating the Big Sky. That would have been that would be. <laughs> it probably wouldn't happen, but I'm just saying they'd raid. They probably it, the remnants may very well join the Mountain West with the way things are going. But we'll see where that goes. But what else? What else is on your mind? Hey, listen, I I'm a big college football fan. You know, it's it's tough seeing all this conference realignment. I I I kind of it's hard to see because I live out in the West. I'm out, I'm out in Utah. And, uh, you know, so the BYU-Utah thing here, you know, BYU's secured its spot in the Big 12. 
Utah has gone to the Rose Bowl two years in a row. And they're kind of in a, you know, between a rock and a hard place with this Pac-12 just kind of disintegrating. And, you know, it's tough to see because what's going to happen if they don't join the Big 12? Are we going to have a Mountain West 2.0? Like, what's what's really everyone's thoughts on that? I, I just don't see... I just don't see mm-hmm. that happening long term. You know, it's interesting to wonder if the Pac-12 does break apart. The way we'll probably see it with these nine remaining teams, it's going to be Arizona. It's going to jump to the uh, the Big 12. Utah and Arizona State, we'll see where that goes. My favorite comment, and again, I don't have it in front of me who wrote it, but, you know, the, the idea is, you know, the car has no wheels and now, or, you know, the, the border states are now a tricycle because they've lost, you know, the, you, you, the Colorado unicycle has taken off. But um, uh, we'll see how those three solve. But then the idea is, would, would we see that theory where the ACC might make a reach to try and add a Western wing to it and bring in the four semi-strong, you know, good, strong sports uh, you know, across the board? I mean, as much as Stanford and Cal haven't necessarily been great football powers, they're usually good at other sports as well. So you're bringing in, you know, multiple sports, but at least you'll get, you know, theoretically a Washington or an Oregon. But that would still leave the two teams in every scenario that always get kind of left behind are Oregon State and Washington State. And those two, I mean, even when we were first discussing this over a year ago with what's going to happen to the Pac-12 if it breaks apart when the, the announcement of USC and UCLA departing came out, I mean, it seems like they would be the two that would kind of have to just sort of find a home wherever. Um, and and it, sadly, maybe that would be it. Maybe they would be the ones that would end up in the... Uh, in the Mountain West. But that, that's jumping too far ahead, I think, at this point. But at least in all the scenarios, it's not clear where they would go. That, that's kind of the bottom line with those guys. Um, I want to uh, bring in at least a couple more people. Looks like Ronnie J. Oh, hey, yeah. What's up? Yeah, boy, Ron. What's been going on, man? What's up? I just wanted to talk about UConn for sure. a second because, man, I don't fully understand UConn to the Big 12 as much as I do them going to the Big Ten or ACC. In fact, I don't even know why the ACC isn't doing anything. You feel like at some point, like, you ever see that meme where the guy's poking the thing with the stick? It's like, come on, do something. I I agree. I think right now the ACC is just trying to hold together because we've already, I mean, when Florida State made it sound like they were seriously looking at leaving and then they apparently did the numbers and found out it's a crippling amount of money to, uh, to pay out if they were to leave. It's like nine figures. They, uh, I think at this point, the ACC is just waiting to see. And we, and I used to have joked about this since last summer, the knife fight between the Big 12 and the Pac-12, although now we seem to have a good indication of what's happening in the, in the results there. I think they're waiting to see how that resolves itself. And then maybe they'll make a move. But at this point, I, that's why the best thing, I mean, the only scenario that, even, that I thought was plausible was maybe they start to poach some of the best remaining schools from the, the Pac-12 is kind of a Western division, but, you know, it seems like a stretch to even say that aloud. But, um, yeah, with UConn again, I get it. But the more I thought about Brett Yormark's background and all of this, the more it made sense. And, again, I could see them as just sort of who they were talking about while they were waiting to see what happened to Arizona. Because let's say they they clearly didn't entirely know what the Pac- – I think they were confident the Pac-12 wasn't going to get a good deal compared to their own deal. But at the same time, you know, they're not going to say anything and get egg on their face. So I think maybe UConn was the program they were kind of lightly discussing to see if Arizona uh, finally does defect. But 
it could be maybe they're hungrier than that. Maybe they do add UConn. Maybe they, they add the the four corner schools. Who knows how big the Big Twelve could get? You know, maybe they'll go to sixteen. Because um, well, I mean, they, aren't they limited by ESPN? So, like at the end of the day, after they take Arizona, they only can add two more teams. I thought. Yeah, and and per- perhaps that's exactly it. Perhaps that's exactly what we'll see. I see someone else wants to jump yeah, in really quick. Fox can approve a pro rata. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Could you say that again? Yeah, so Fox is the one that limits the contract. So uh, Fox can allow for what's called a pro rata, and so they would have to pay. um, I think they're on the hook for $11 million if they want to extend beyond 14 teams. And I just want to hop in for a sec on UConn. Uh, You're absolutely right on your Mark's vision and his background being part of it, but it's also – uh, part of the draw is uh, you are capturing some New York City and Boston markets and maybe not in its entirety, but you are capturing a sizable amount. There's a huge alumni population there. I mean, are you though? Like you Boston, are, I, I lived you in Boston for two years. There's, no one cares about, I'm going to be honest, no one cares about UConn and Boston. And New York City, sure, a little bit, but New York City, even then... Outside of the Big East tournament, I don't feel like really – and I lived in New York and New Jersey for 20 years. doesn't really care about college sports. It doesn't, but I, I would argue that it's the same reasoning you would take a Rutgers yeah. in the sense that, like, you, you're not going to yeah. get the whole market, but you're talking about a population that outnumbers exactly. multiple states put together. I mean, when we were talking about I USC mean, and UCLA, <laughs> Los Angeles' metro population is bigger than Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama combined. So, I mean, and, and, exactly. and New York is bigger than that. So while you're getting like a slice of it, that slice suddenly sounds like the state of Mississippi in terms of population. You know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, but do you, think, do you think like, oh. Oh, go on, go on. The difference is Rutgers is a large state school. UConn has a lot of money being poured into it currently. Um, and while their athletic department is in hot water over financial spending, they like I said, their donors are plentiful and they're ready and I can see them making the jump. And I've gotten a lot of crap on big 12 Twitter for this, but I see them making the jump and recruiting extensively. If they were to wind up, wind up in a a power five conference. And also from a big picture lens, once you say to East coast institutions, Hey, I'm open for business you also can attract leftover, hypothetically, if Clemson and Florida State find a way to break the ironclad contract uh, that a nice lawyer wrote on retainer, you're looking at the Big 12 potentially being able, in a position with substantial leverage to bring in Eastern Coast institutions in the ACC. Because I think they could. I think they could, but I'm not sure they would be able to get into the bidding war for Clemson and Florida State or even necessarily. No, but I mean, don't get me wrong. There would still be some very attractive teams there. I mean, the entire big the entire ACC has has some solid programs. there. I mean, the ones again, you you kind of think, okay, well, Wake Forest, we'll see where you land. But uh, the rest of them. Yeah, I wasn't saying Clemson and Florida State. I'm working off the assumption that. Big Ten is going to poach them, which I believe is true. So you're looking at a lot of still valuable institutions that you could potentially poach. 
Yeah. I, I feel like just where all the conferences are at now for the purposes of UConn, the Big Ten would probably make more sense than anything else. You're already there. And I don't see why the Big Ten would say no to UConn in the long, in the I, I long think, term. I don't know if their numbers necessarily crunch right for them. I think that would be the one thing. They already have Rutgers. I don't know how they feel about that in the long term, but I could see at this point the Big Ten really just waiting for grand slams at this point because that's why I think they were so tepid about the idea, despite the, the strong interest from the programs, Oregon and Washington. Because to me, UConn and Washington – are I, I would say Washington might would and Oregon might be stronger programs than than UConn overall in terms of what they offer and they still you know the Big Ten kind of was like eh I think it would take a team I mean do they does Washington bring in more money than UConn I'm not you know it, it's it's a stronger football program and I mean again we still we still tend to look at it that way when we look at some of these these numbers I think that's that's what made UConn such an interesting idea is that suddenly putting basketball into a zone where you might be able to pull in New York City, where is basketball hot? And, you know, suddenly you could get that. And again, you have a commissioner who is so was so plugged into basketball for so long. But it is different. You know, I want to I want to give them more opportunities to talk only because we have so many people who wanted to join. TriStar, what's going on? Oh, what's going on, gentlemen? How are we doing tonight? Good. How are you? Um, so, uh, from what I'm gathering, I just got in here. I was fueling up my truck. I'm a truck driver, but I also cover Tennessee Athletics. And um, one thing that's been on my mind is all this realignment stuff. And of course, me, I you know, I grew up in the '90s and 2000s, and I'm I'm a sucker for how the conferences used to be because they weren't too big, and you had more. I feel like you had more teams and more representation, whereas now you don't have nearly as many. And the conferences are getting, in my opinion, too big to where, like for example, look at Nebraska. Nebraska for decades was a powerhouse numerous conference championships numerous national championships numerous all-americans you know great fan base you know tons of money and all that stuff but then they go to the big 10 yes they're getting more money but i feel like they've been worse off in terms of the program they've not been nearly as successful and i mean you can say the same thing with colorado i, I remember as a kid that colorado nebraska oh, yeah. game at the end of the season that was a huge game now, I, I wanted to share this in here, if you don't mind. I want to share this into the Jumbotron, and I want to get y'all's opinion on this. I made my own little conference realignment thing and a playoff idea. I was thinking because, you know, there's been all this talk, and I'm a huge sucker, like Josh Pate is, for regionality and rivalries. So, as you see, I made eight conferences, all with 10 teams, except the SEC's got 12, and the playoff is an eight-team playoff with the eight conference champions, and so that way there's no complaining about how that team should have gotten over that team, and no conference gets left out, and all conferences have great football teams in them. You know, uh, I just want to get y'all's opinion on that. Y'all can look it over. I, if you click on that tweet, you can see I've got tweets under that main tweet showing who's in what conference and all that stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, I see. It. And thanks for sharing that. You know, these these kinds of I think this is what I think folks would prefer. If you ask nine, uh, nine out of 10 fans, I think they would prefer to have going back to sort of geographically sensible conferences the way you've drawn them up here. 
unfortunately, we've seen that go out the window to some extent. I just also, and I want to circle back real quick because you brought up a, an interesting point that got me thinking. Because you were talking about um, Arizona, pardon me, uh, Nebraska and Colorado in their heydays. I think Nebraska's biggest change was just bad coaching hires. I think we can say that because let's say Nebraska had hired Nick Saban. I think we would have seen Nebraska suddenly become terrifying again. Well, that, that, that's subjective because if you remember when he got hired at LSU, he was coming off his stint at Michigan State. And right, right. He wasn't the GOAT at Michigan State by no, by no stretch. No, no. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that's what I was kind of just leaning on. I'm like, well, if he had, you know, if you brought, and I'm not necessarily Nick Saban, but, you know, Bo Pelini was all right, but they had a couple like Bill Callahan was a disaster, just didn't fit. And um, I thought Mike Scott Riley Frost still doesn't work. make sense. I thought, <laughs> am I the only one that thought Scott Frost would work? Because oh, I think he's, everyone he's thought the home they were going to work. The, the hometown boy played there. He's from Lincoln. Like they're like, you know, he, he gets it. You know, he, he's from here. He marinated in it as a kid. Like he gets it. And, yeah, absolutely. That was I you, was. And if you look in that, like I said, I've got eight conferences. All of them except the SEC have ten teams. Uh, where are the uh, somebody asked me where's the Arizona schools? Well, I've actually got them in the Mountain West. And yeah, the like the Mountain West, I put that as kind of the, like the four corner states, like Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, and I put Wyoming in there because they're basically on the border and they got history with all those other teams. And uh, if you put if you look at my SEC, I took out Kentucky, but I also put in Georgia Tech, Tulane, and Florida State. So now you got two teams per each southern state. I made the ACC basically the traditional ACC, you know, the Carolinas and Virginia. Uh, I brought back the Big East, and I put UCF in there with Miami, and I put Penn State in that. Um, and the Big Ten, I put Kentucky, Louisville, and Cincinnati in the Big Ten. Tell me that yeah. would not be a fun conference. It would be. Unfortunately, we've uh, – and then that's a sad thing. Is this Looking at that kind of an idea, it, it's, it makes us long for those times when, we, when those sort of conferences yeah, were like, possible. Uh, like, for example, like a lot of people told me their favorite one was the Southwest Conference because you got like all the major Texas schools. I threw UTSA in there because it used to be Rice, but Rice is no longer really that good. And UTSA has been really good. And I was like, well, basically I'll just swap out Rice for UTSA – it's all the original Southwest Conference schools. Plus, you get Oklahoma and Oklahoma State in there because they're not really that far away from Arkansas and all that stuff. And there's a lot of Arkansas fans in Tulsa. So you got a lot of interaction with the fans. And people might look at me and say, well, you know, you put Florida State in there. Why not Miami? Well, for one, in the SEC bylaws, you can only have two teams per state. So – this talk of adding Florida State and Miami into the SEC, they're not adding two. They're adding one because they're, they've already got Florida. They can't have three. Yeah. And that's, well, and that's I, I would say, though, if the, if the money's there, though, bylaws do get changed really quick. <laughs> you know, I want to I allow a couple of other folks who've been up had a chance to, uh, to, to join in. Let's hear. Quinshawn is him. I know you've been really patient. Then I'll head over to you, UCF. Hey, guys. Hey, how are you doing? I was going to wonder, like, since y'all talking about UConn, I was wondering about basketball schools. Do you think Gonzaga can move to the power conference just for basketball? You know, that that's a good question. Just for basketball, I'm not sure. A lot of the programs, especially at the, the very top, they want full sports. They want as many of the sports to be played as possible. And football is such a moneymaker 
and is so pivotal to oh, a lot of these right. contracts. So the Mountain West seems to be the closest that, that has considered having them join, um, just like you know Wichita State and, and other really strong kind of hoop schools. But I, I would be I would be shocked if we get to a point where you know, including a Pac-12, uh, any of the P5 would be willing to necessarily do a, a sport like that. Sometimes you get quirky ones like they might be like there was a brief period of time where like Cal State Bakersfield was technically in the Pac-12 for one sport because they had a wrestling program at the time um, and there just weren't that many in the Pac-12. So sometimes you'll get oddballs like that. The basketball is a pretty dramatic one. And um, without football, I, I could see that being um that being an issue there uh but it's a it's an interesting question though i'm not saying it's a bad question i think it's an interesting one i just i just don't know how uconn would compete in the big Ten as football you know how well they do we'll see sometimes i mean mora can coach fairly well um you know at ucla he had some some pretty decent seasons before he kind of petered out and they let him go but uh yeah, I don't know. I, they wouldn't necessarily be a team I would expect to challenge all the time, but they've had they've had their heights. I still remember when they were in a, the uh, was it the Orange Bowl. They made one. They made one New Year's Six Bowl, and it was that was that was a wild season for them. So it's it's possible it they wouldn't be. They would be like a uh, they would be a middle of the pack team in terms of football in the sense that you'd occasionally be hoping for that one really good season, but they wouldn't. I, I don't think anyone would ever envision them. Being a program that would be, you know, a, a perennial championship contender or anything like that. Let's see here. I want to get again. We're kind of moving around as many of you all as we can. UCF is land. Um, <laughs> what's going on? How's it going? UCF. Uh... <laughs> oh, I did. I yep. I totally misread that. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're good. You're good. Um, yeah, I had two quick comments. Um, it was actually based on somebody mentioned uh, you, uh, the UConn conversation earlier. And then Scott Frost, I actually worked on his staff um, back when I was on an equipment guy. Um, I was a little iffy when he moved to Nebraska, to be honest, just because of the type of coach he was. Um, obviously, you're on the equipment staff, so you're not working directly with him. But I saw the type of person he was. I think uh, UCF worked out really well for him just because that was kind of his personality. And I feel like the pressure cooker of Nebraska kind of got to him a little too much, and he wasn't quite ready for that. He's more of like an analyst, offensive coordinator type of person, not really a head coach type of guy. So he's not very vocal. At that time when I was there, it was player-led. So a lot of the players were taking over the leadership, and we had great leaders like Mackenzie Milton and Shaquem Griffin. Oh, so you can tell he – yeah, you can tell he kind of put it in the hands of the players. And because they had such a group of guys, they were kind of leading from the front rather than Scott Frost. And Frost would just run the offensive play calling and stuff. But there were times where he would come in late. You know, there were times where he wasn't as disciplined as you would think as a head coach. And I think that kind of trickled into Nebraska. And people started seeing that a little bit. But when it comes to UConn, we've, we've played them. Um, several yeah, times, civil right? Conflict. Um, they actually have the civil conflict, right? They actually, they actually have the resources for it, and UConn kind of operates, I think, still to this day, as if you know, back in the Big East time period, as if they actually had that, you know, that mentality of like a power program. I think they really just got left behind. And if you look at the revenue numbers and some of the statistics, it actually shows 
that they're pretty on par with some of those bottom kind of scraping power five programs like Rutgers and stuff. I believe they were only like $2 million off last year revenue wise from Rutgers. And I think they beat out certain programs like even Houston. And um, so they have actually the revenue, like you said, they have big time donors that really do, you know, if you look at their facilities, they are actually on par with some of these ACC lower tier programs and these big 12 programs so they really are kind of ready for it but like you said whether they actually fit into the big 12 or not that's really another question but yeah that was just my quick comments i want to make i appreciate it yeah and i agree uconn has the has the ability to at least get into a level where they could be in that big 12 mix and not be completely short of it and then getting a, a bigger influx of money. Their whole idea of going independent, I think, in the long run wasn't a great one. Um, but uh, so I think, but they were at a point where they thought they could potentially join the bigger conference and the invite never came. Uh, but at this point, I think they still have the ability to at least jump onto one of those and, and do pretty fine. I want to give an opportunity here to uh, Idaho Vandals Fan Club. What's going on? What's up? What's up? Obviously, I come from bias, oh, it right? Like you unmuted, but I can't hear you. I can hear. Him. Oh, is it my end? All right, All right I'm reset. Word. Sorry about that. Go ahead. Obviously, I come from bias. You asked me. I think at worst, Idaho's going ten and two this season. Losses to maybe Nebraska, uh, not Nebraska, Nevada, and Cal. But I want to see from an outside perspective y'all's realistic thoughts on Idaho. I think an FCS championship is in the sights easily, but that's just my opinion. I'm going to look up the schedule right now, see what you guys have. I would be shocked if we beat Cal, but it would also be the greatest day of my life, personally. All right, I'm back, and I heard the end of that. So which <laughs> which Cal? So I just heard um, defeating Cal. Which program are we talking about? Sorry about that. Idaho. Idaho. Ooh. Well, you know. Okay, so their, their 2023 schedule is as follows. They're at Lamar at Nevada, at Cal, versus Sacramento State, at Eastern Washington, at Cal Poly, versus Montana, versus Montana State, at Northern Colorado, at Weber State, and at, and home against Idaho State to wrap the season. Well, I'm going to be honest. I could see Cal losing their first three games because they've got a weir- kind of a weird one, and it's not one that – I think people would, would expect because they open at North Texas, North Texas, granted new coach, but it's, it's going to be a home game for them. It's going to be hot as hell in Texas, way hotter than a Cal. And I could see that upset. That actually came up. I want to say last week on the show, we've kind of talked about some of the strengths that North Texas has as a program. And this could be one. Um, And then they host Auburn, which at this point, Auburn's actually, I'm not sure if they're going to be like how as strong as they could be, but as much as all the uh, the all the controversy amount around ho- uh, me, hiring Coach Freeze, all the indications seem to be Auburn's coming back alive because their recruiting looks just absolutely tremendous again, and that was again one of those huge factors that led to to the coaching change that they had in the off season. So again, Auburn, I, I, even though it's at Cal, I would strongly favor them as well. Idaho would be, I mean. It's a little bit riskier. I, I don't know. I know it's a prank. It is. It is, but it isn't. wouldn't be as shocking as, say, Washington. You know what I mean? That Then people would be like, wow, how did that? And, I mean, 
again, that's what it's the beauty of our sport, right? These things happen. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I'm not sure Idaho could do it, but it would be that would that would be the tougher of the three. But of course, if they're really worn down after those first two games, who knows what kind of uh, Cal team you have there? Yeah, my my question to the other guy is realistic outside perspective on Idaho's ceiling this season. No offense, your name's Andrew. I'm sorry about yeah. that. I disrespect. That's uh, all right. I've, I've <laughs> been called a lot of things. Other guy is probably the nicest. So, <laughs> so uh, let me check. Um, I'll, I'll be upfront. I'm not as versed in FCS as I am in FBS, but I mean Montana State's going to be tough. They're they're constantly making it far in the playoffs. Um, you know, luckily for you guys, the FBS. I'm not sure if FBS counts against you in terms of record, but you know, I'll I'll bounce off of what Bobak said that Cal could be at risk. Same with Nevada. Um, I mean, Idaho has uh, Idaho's always had the uh, the the situation of being, especially ever since they moved back to the Big Sky. That is a tough conference. Uh, I haven't, you know. Sac State should theoretically be weaker now. I think the whole there's only, there's so much you can say about the success they had, but of course they lost definitely. Yeah, but of course that head coach, you know, it, how much of it was Troy Taylor? I think it was a lot on Troy Taylor, and Stanford's obviously got him now. So um, yeah. by the way, I'm really looking forward to watching that that Sacramento State at Stanford game. That's going to be a delight. It's actually the same <laughs> yeah, time Idaho is playing at Cal. So maybe what? Oh yeah, wow. no. I mean, I just realized that they're both on the 16th. Wouldn't that be a delight if we suddenly got a pair of FCS upsets in the Bay Area? Um, but that that might be a tall order. Although I still remember Stanford has one of the most embarrassing FCS upsets in his of any program because UC Davis wasn't upset them at Stanford, but the thing was UC Davis had only just begun the transition from D2 to FCS, so it wasn't like they were. What we have now with uh, with, uh, the, with the Hawk love with uh, Dan Hawkins over there. This was like, oh, we're just starting as an FCS program. Stanford invites him over and Stanford loses. It was so embarrassing that the head coach at the time, Walt Harris, wrote a letter to everybody in the alumni saying, like, I'm really sorry. We've really let everyone down. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, that's that's your goal, Idaho. You have to get Cal. You have to get, you know, you have to get that kind of. There's, there's two levels of that. Can you get them to fire their head coach? I, I don't know. I think at this point, Justin Wilcox, I'm not sure how much room that Cal's going to give him, but, I mean, he's still there. But you have to – can you get Justin Wilcox to be so embarrassed he has to write a letter to everybody from the Cal alumni saying, like, I let you all down. That's the goal. There you go. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> Thank you. I will say, I will say two things. Um, well, two things. One, I think the power of the Kitty Dome will – will look down upon you fondly this season. Uh, I, I feel you. like the Kibbe Dome has some kind of uh, supernatural powers. That's, yeah, then, that's why they made us only play there four times this season. Oh, exactly. brutal. And then... Wow. And then second, I, I wanted to say, Bob, that this is kind of off topic, but people have been suggesting that RCFB should try to buy a bowl sponsorship. Yeah, that's come up over Honestly, years. we should try to buy... We should try to buy the field sponsorship to the kids. Yeah, forget if about, we had the money. Yeah, that, that forget that's, about bulls. With with all zero dollars of revenue that we have, that would be a, that would be a fun one. Maybe they'll exactly. take. Uh, maybe they'll take. I can chip in like twenty. Yeah. Oh, sweet! All right. Well, there you go. If we keep doing that, 
Um, let's see here. I want to allow uh, what's up, Hayden Ross, Creekwater. What's going on? Uh, what's up, guys? I'm going to try to be quick. I got a couple things I want to say. The first one, uh, TriStar is a little um, conference realignment map. You can tell it's made by a trucker. It looks like a list of like loves truck stops across America with little dots on it. But uh, side note, but when it comes to like the uh, <clears throat> Big Ten um, and the a- or the ACC, like I think the uh, Big Ten and the SEC do not want to add any more teams than uh, what they're at right now at 16. Like they haven't, at least for a few years, they haven't, there's never been a conference even with 16 teams. I think the both commissioners came out and said you, they want to uh, see how it works with 16 teams before you add 18 because it's a big jump to go, you know, to go from, you know, 14 to 18 without, you know, trying the 16 first. So I think there's going to be, a few years for um, Oregon and Washington where they're either going to, they're going to have to make a decision on what they're wanting to do, because I don't think the big 10 is going to add them at least for like you know, four or five years or so. And then uh, when it comes to like UConn in the uh, big 12, um, you know, UConn, they, they ha- they've had some decent years in football before. I think they made a orange bowl or they made a Fiesta bowl or I think they beat Oklahoma in the Fiesta bowl a while back or played them. And, uh, so they have some potential in football, and if you can say add like a, the Big Twelve add like an Arizona and a UConn, I know it's all football that makes the money, but you know, your mark is uh, really you know fo- you know help, um, focuses on basketball as well, even though it doesn't make as much. But if you can go to the networks with the TV deal, and you can say that you have UConn basketball, Arizona basketball, Kansas basketball, plus a lot of other you know solid programs. I mean, I think that's that can kind of move the needle a little bit more than most basketball conferences have. Like, cause I think the big 12 solidified itself as like the third most, the third conference in terms of TV viewership and TV ratings. So if they, and it's not going to pass the big 10 or sec, no matter what in that. So if they can come in say we have the third most viewed football conference and the most viewed basketball conference, I feel like that's where UConn could add some value, especially if Arizona comes with them. You know, that's a good point about how the Arizona Hoops team would also, you know, compliment them. Um, just really super minor thing because I don't want Oklahoma fans to be like, what? They, Oklahoma actually clobbered UConn pretty badly in that Fiesta Bowl. But the fact is, as you're right, they made the Fiesta Bowl. Um, I think I don't want to take away at that at all. Because, yeah, so and that was kind of what we were going back to earlier with an earlier caller. UConn has decent enough facilities to probably jump into the Big 12 and not be like they wouldn't be, again, a, a, a perennial football contender. But they could compete. But I think certainly you're right. I mean, I think with your mark coming from the Nets and then having such a dynamic kind of I, I was impressed by him when he was hired, but I was kind of holding back because, you know, you can be impressed by somebody who's not from the college football world. And then you end up with Larry Scott or then, you know, at this point, unfortunately, George Klyovkov's kind of looking that way as well. But yeah. going back to uh, going back to what's going on here, I think the idea of yeah making basketball so attractive and being able to have those teams, let's say Madison Square Garden, you may not dominate the New York market. I mean, I don't think any college program ever could, but you're going to get a nice enough chunk of one of the most populated places on earth, which yeah. uh, has a lot to say there. You know, uh, Andrew, I know you wanted to to kind of add something in really quick. Yeah, I. I, re- I just remembered, I just recalled that a couple of seasons ago, UConn redid its, its, its football, sorry, I'm thinking football, soccer, it's the World Cup going on right now, its football locker room, 
And I mean, that shows a bit of a interest in them trying to make some movement toward improving their program. They hired a great coach as well. Um, yeah, I think that, well, I, it that was funny too. because more they were a little bit, people were wondering like, well, is he going to be good or not? And he ended up, he ends up being pretty solid. So I think it's going to be curious to see how that, how, if it continues, but um, yeah, certainly right making now, a bowl was a nice, was a nice uh, change of pace for, for UConn. Yeah. And right now I think I read, um, I think it's Fox is paying uh, UConn like a, uh, three and a half or so million dollars for their football rights because they're an independent. I mean, if they can hop into the Big 12, that'll give them significantly, you know, bigger, more money to invest back into the football program. And their basketball program has been the most successful program since 99. I think they have four national titles or three national titles, something like that. But uh, last thing I'll say, I think when it comes to Oregon and Washington and the Big Ten and all that, I think that the Big Ten, like I said, is going to wait it out and see how it looks with uh, 16 teams. And also, I think that they're waiting for the ACC to to fall apart. Like, um, I know they have to wait till their TV deal's up before they can move, but I think if they get a certain amount of schools to agree to, you know, to disband, it can, you know, end. But, like, Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina, and probably Miami are all going to end up in the SEC or the Big Ten. And then, like, the Big 12 would come in and add a school like uh, Louisville, Pitt, Virginia Tech. I think we're headed to, like, three big conferences, and I think it's going to be the Big 10, the SEC, and the Big 12. And um, that's just my opinion. But I, And uh, the Big 10 is going to make Notre Dame tell them no, which I, they probably will. But I think the a bunch of dominoes are going to start falling in terms of Oregon and all of them until uh, the ACC falls apart or, like, disbands. I think that's when really we're going to start seeing stuff. Yeah, and I think there's that's going to be the big question. What happened? What the ACC does? They're the most intriguing mystery in all of this. After the Florida State kind of voiced their displeasure with the conference in an internal, well, not internal, it was public, but I mean with a meeting with their own board of, uh, I always forget if it's regents or trustees from school to school. But when they did that back in February, suddenly we knew the ACC did have some discontent. It seems like when they realized how hard it was to break that contract, because it, apparently it's like a hundred and something million dollars for any team to leave at this point, yeah. you know, they're now just going to try and I believe come up with a way to give Clemson and FSU a little bit more of the pie. It still won't match the individual payouts that SEC or big 10 teams would get. But yeah, if one of these conferences does start to come apart, it will be curious. I think that's an interesting idea. Would we end up with three big conferences at this point though? It seems like the Big Ten and SEC would still be on the best end of that in terms oh, of, yeah. of the money coming in. Because right now, I think that it's fun to try and imagine what we call things now because that, that's come up a few times. Is it now the, 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 the top two, the middle three, and then the others? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. That's not a very complimentary way of saying it. But at this point with the Pac-12, I mean, who knows? Is it going to be the, the top two, the middle two, and then you know the, uh, the potpourri of random teams that kind of have been spread out? Uh, everywhere else because um, the ACC kind of I mean the smaller schools in the ACC like the like the wakes and the you know all that like they're happy with it but the you know Clemson and the Florida States and the Miamis and North Carolinas they kind of screwed themselves signing that long of a deal and they also make less than the current Big 12 makes in terms of like in, in individual TV payouts right now and and uh, and 
Duke. That's a, no one that no one's really talking about. Like, I, I have a hard time seeing Duke not kind of make it to like maybe the Big Ten or something, just because their their name brand in basketball is one of the, like the two, maybe one school in the country that can like carry itself into a Power Five conference just with basketball. You know, the the problem, their biggest problem for Duke is UNC is right by them, and I think that's always been their you know UNC. You get more of a full complement of of all sports and like their academic fit would be that's why they always tend to come up because if if the ACC were to break apart oddly enough Virginia it also gets pulled into that because you have two you know public academic universities with Virginia and UNC and suddenly they might be a better fit for like let's say a Big 10 I'm always surprised Georgia Tech doesn't come up as much only because of Atlanta and while that wouldn't necessarily be attractive to the ACC which has it on lockdown you know, I, I think that would be the question who, who would want them more. And I think, you know, with the, if the Big Ten wanted them, that would be an interesting pull for them to suddenly pull themselves into the South. But that's that's a huge hypothetical. I don't want to get do too think, far ahead on that. Uh, do you think that if uh, it all starts, you know, happening or whatever, do you think Duke, if the Big 12 called, would be considerate if they added like an Arizona and a UConn already? And then you could have that they would want to be a part of the best basketball conference in the country? Well, I or think do you think with, that their academics if, are kind of wouldn't be into it? If ACC, if ACC came apart, Duke would certainly be trying to figure out. I mean, I think you, all the teams would be like, well, can I get into the SEC or Big Ten? If you can, you're going to go there. But if not, yeah, I could see the Big 12 being the one to sweep them up because what, what's the alternative going to be at that point? I mean, we're going to assume that if things start to really fall apart, the Pac-12 is probably not going to be able to make a competitive offer at this rate because we've, we've been talking about it. The Pac-12... Um, just to kind of reiterate, it sounds like basically what we're getting out of the room. I mean, I wouldn't say rumors, but what's coming out of, of these meetings hasn't been in exactly fully reported. So I guess it is somewhat of a rumor. It's about $20 million per school with the idea that they'd be on Apple TV mm-hmm. and Apple TV would give them bonuses if they were able to somehow drive an enormous amount of subscriptions their way. That's a huge and if. Um, they, they, they also are saying that it's hard to budget. Like if you don't know how much oh, money exactly. you're going to get. It's hard to budget, and yeah, and it's a similar thing. I, Apple's trying to do the same thing that they did with um, MLS. Like, you, if you have Apple TV, you won't just get the Pac-12 games. You'll have to go out of your way to uh, to buy them, you know, separately. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. It's kind of a fascinating time. It's been this has been the most fascinating in terms of conference realignment that we've had. Like normally, you know, you hear a lot of stuff and not much happens, or maybe like OU and Texas they leave in the middle of the night out of nowhere. But this year, it seems like there's a lot of talk and there's stuff actually happening, and I think that has a lot to do with the Pac-12 and the Big 12 TV deals ending at the exact same time. Absolutely, I think that's that we're finally getting what we were all waiting for since the big since USC and UCLA left. Um, but really it just kept prolonging mostly because again, this, well, we'll have a TV deal. Oh, we don't have a TV deal that the PAC 12 has been doing for so long that it's, it's, I think, sowed a lot of bitterness and a lot of, of potential teams that might've been interested in them, or at least some of their own members. You know, I want to allow the street cynic, you've been really patient. What's going on? Hey guys. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I just had a question. It's like, my, my question is how much do you think potential upside matters in these conference realignment talks. And I don't mean financial upside with media deals, like with those escalators or anything like that. I mean like the potential upside of teams themselves, because like in my mind right now, like the example that stands out in my mind is just those two Bay area schools out there, Cal and Stanford. It's like, I get that both of them are are down right now. Um, 
But, you know, in not too distant history, both of them have been good. And when they were good, they were really good. You know, I think like Cal was like a hair's breadth away from being the number one ranked team in the nation. Stanford had, you know, a bunch of Rose Bowls. And so, you know, is there upside there? Because, you know, people seem to be looking at the teams as they are right now. But that San Francisco Bay Area market, that's still going to be a valuable market, you know, with all its like, you know, tech billionaires and there's still a lot of people there and, and all that stuff. It's like, is there some kind of a world where Cal and Stanford take like half share and get into something like the Big Ten because the Big Ten wants to buy low and sell high? Maybe they get some concessions from Cal and Stanford to invest more uh, in their revenue sports or, or what have you. Like, I have to imagine that there is upside there to be unlocked. And does that thinking get factored in? with these conference realignment talks? That's that's just my question. No, you know, and, and you bring up something interesting here because I remember when they were, as soon as USC and UCLA bolted, there was kind of a question of, well, what's the value of the teams left? And, and an assumption was Oregon and Washington were the next two big teams. And then they were talking to, as, as a lot of reporters are kind of contacting the people that seem to have the most knowledge, and usually those were former TV executives, like people who had been network heads and retired network presidents in sports. And Stanford would come up a little bit more as like, you know, Stanford is still a valuable brand. It's in the Bay Area. Um, they've had a little more recent consistency in terms of success on the field. Cal was, Cal was number two in that crazy 2007 season. So it's almost like that whole season was weird because USF, South Florida, was second at one point in that year. So that, that was a wacky one. So we'll, we'll just table that, that particular season for a, a short moment. Um, Cal's other big problem, I should say, is the amount of debt they carry because when they redid, they did some wildly optimistic changes to the program um, when they were upgrading facilities. When they ha had to upgrade California Memorial Stadium, um, the, the, which is built across a fault line, and they, I don't know if they knew it at the time they did it because it's quite an old stadium, needed to have a really major overhaul. So when they did that major overhaul, they borrowed heavily and had a, a really, I mean, again, optimistic assumption that they were going to somehow bring Cal football to the level of, you know, USC or, you know, some of the SEC programs in terms of uh, seat subscriptions, uh, seat licenses, I should say, and, and sales. And obviously Cal did not deliver on that side. So they've been for a while carrying an enormous debt load to the point where the university had to bail out their athletic department. So asking them to suddenly step up might not be as plausible while Stanford has some alumni who are willing to throw money. They're a little more hesitant, but I could see Stanford being a part of that. So I think that's why when, when they were saying could which Bay Area school would be picked, Stanford tends to come up a little bit more just because they're a little more flexible. They have some alumni there that are willing to throw. I mean, I remember, gosh, Stanford, because being where they are, they have just insane property prices, and they have for a long time. So if you're an assistant coach, where do you live? You know, that was always kind of the question. As it turns out, they had a very wealthy alum who basically built a townhouse community for basically the uh, the assistant coaches <laughs> to live in so they would have be able to afford to live near Stanford. So that's the kind of money that exists at that school. So, yeah, they could throw a lot of money and get into the mix. Of course, the flip side of that is the academics. Um, and they've always been that's always been one of their their kind of trickier factors and and how you can make that work and still be competitive. It seemed 
for a while there that they had it going and then things slowly started to kind of fade there and they finally let go you know after i i wouldn't say it was a surprise but um excuse me when they let go of david shaw that was kind of a moment of what was working all those years it started under Harbaugh and kind of continued under shaw just kind of stopped ceasing the work for them so i'm not sh- i could they join in one of these conferences they would be attractive and they would pull in a, a market but um I think at this point there's certainly there's certainly not a, a school that would be as worried as say Washington State and Oregon State. I think the two Bay Area schools and Washington and Oregon are the four that seem to have the most ability to then jump to another program jump to another conference, but where they would fit is a whole other question. I mean, again, the most one of the more interesting ones I've heard and this was from Nicole Arbach, so it's not like from some, you know, totally random account was the theory and it, it's not just her, I've heard it from a couple of different places is the ACC theoretically then looking to add an entirely new western part of their conference and add, you know, those four schools and maybe who knows who else they could grab um if the Big 12 doesn't grab the rest. But that I'm going to wait to see how that pans out because we've heard of even more plausible scenarios over all the decades of conference realignment that didn't pan out. I mean, it's amazing to think that at one point, you know, the Pac-10, I think it just became the Pac-12, was almost ready to add Texas and Oklahoma. And then just they weren't able to come to an agreement on what to do with the Longhorn Network. So it didn't happen. And imagine if that had happened. Imagine what would have happened if suddenly the uh, the Pac-12 had added those two. And at one point, they were even talking about, well, they pull in a few more teams, like an Oklahoma State or uh, a Texas Tech or something like that. And clearly, that didn't work out. So let's see here. Uh, Bandit, do you want to go ahead and unmute really quick? Yeah, I, I'm a little – I just got on. I didn't know if you guys talked about Washington, Oregon's uh, landing spot. There's no way I can see them signing any grant of rights with the current Pac-12 offer. And – uh when do you think they might make a move or where they're going to land? You know, I, I think that's a great question. And I, everyone's looking at Arizona right now only because they've been the noisiest in terms of like, we're considering the big 12 and, you know, we'll first see what the offer is. But ever since the USC and UCLA departure was announced, everyone looked at Oregon and Oregon and Washington and where they would land. So I, I think where they, I mean, would the Big 12 be willing to go that wild and pull in as many teams as they could from the Pac-12? That would be remain to be seen. At this point, I, we're almost in a, a weird zone of sports. You know, sometimes nicknamed the Tyson Zone from the wackiest times of Mike Tyson, of where almost any potential um, potential happening seems plausible. But um, I, again, one of the one of the more interesting theories that's been touted by some folks that I wouldn't necessarily say are are likely to put out, you know, really just crazy ideas is that they might even feasibly would the ACC decide to jump into things and try and start some really far West coast teams, become a bi-coastal conference. You know, if you get enough teams, it's, it's plausible for the Olympic sports to keep them from having to travel as much as say USC and UCLA suddenly will have to be doing. But, um, it's not clear where they would go. One of the other things I heard that, that I thought was interesting too, with, Oregon and Washington, do they want to move conferences and only to have, you know, because they, they're clearly desired to be in the Big Ten. I think that seems, or or the SEC, but I mean, realistically, I think the Big Ten seems to be the one that they, they foresee the most likely. They would have to pay uh, exit fee from whatever conference they were in. What if 
would they be willing to go move to a, a medium, a, probably a, a sort of a second step conference and then have to pay a different, like they'd pay an exit fee from the Pac-12 to let's say go to the Big 12 or the ACC or wherever. Would they then want to have to pay it again to go if the Big 10 suddenly opened up? Uh, I've heard that thrown out there. I I could see both ways. I could see them being willing to, to do that just to improve, again, the short term, because again, you're trying to, if you're the athletic director and the president of the university, you're trying to make sure you get the most for your institution. I think that's there's nothing wrong with that kind of a selfish thought because that's why they paid you. That's why you're hired. You're responsible for that institution. But no, I think it's interesting. And I think you've put you've you've definitely pointed out, like, what about those two? Everyone's they were the biggest question a year ago. And now we're kind of with Arizona's kind of circus right now, everyone's kind of busy looking at what's going on, you know, in Tucson. I just I have a hard time thinking that they're going to leave USC and UCLA on an island on the West Coast just because of the traveling and stuff. I figured, I mean, Stanford's a great fit for the Big Ten, just, you know, academic-wise and the fit. And I think that it would help to get Notre Dame in there also. But uh, this whole Florida State stuff sort of threw a little bit of a loop in the whole thing. But um, I think eventually the SEC and the big 10 are going to get to 24, what 24 teams. I don't know. I see like a, a Oregon, Washington, Stanford, UCLA and USC and Nebraska in a, and closer to that region being a, a pod having a three team, eight, uh, three team pod of eight teams. But I, uh, I just, I think with this whole ACC stuff going on until we find out exactly what FSU is planning on doing. I think they're Oregon and Washington are in a limbo. And honestly, if they had to go to the big 12 and pay an exit fee, I would be happy with that. But uh, I just, there's no way that the uh, pack 10, 12, eight, nine, whatever you want to call it now is sustainable with the, the Apple TV money you know, money, it's just not there. And I just don't see anybody signing off on that except for maybe Oregon state and, and Washington state. There's the probably ones that they're happy with the numbers right now. Yeah. Cause they have no, exactly. Cause they have no choice They're They're the ones that get left out in every scenario and you, you got to feel for them. It reminds me of when the first time the big 12 looked like it would fall apart, not after Texas and OU uh, left, but after, you know, it looked like it might break apart when um, actually that same scenario with the Pac-12 nearly lured um, Texas and Oklahoma. There were a couple of teams that in every scenario just kind of got left out. And it was always like Iowa State, Kansas State, you know, where would they end up going? And now, of course, in the long run, now they're at least in a more stable conference, um, as it turned out. And who knew it had to do with leadership? Um, and having someone and, and that's again both conferences went outside of the box Klyovkov was from the uh, the the entertainment world they got him from MGM uh, resorts and you know Klyov probably um, your mark was from the in New Jersey Nets and he had a history in the NBA and you know sometimes you, you just sort of see how that pans out let's see here I want to allow at least one more uh, person come in as we slowly start wrapping this up Tyler what's going on hey how's it going Good. Um, so my question is kind of in regards to Duke. Um, there are Duke football fans out there. I'm one of, I think, 20 of us. But when it comes to Duke, I think they're one of the more, like, interesting 
groups or schools with the whole ACC when it inevitably falls apart in the sense of where do you think they go? Because I put them kind of like UConn in the sense they're not by any means a football powerhouse, but in terms of basketball success and every non-football sport, they're competitive, but all they've known is power five. Right. Um, I think the difference in them and, you know, a Wake Forest or Boston College is that you've got Duke's basketball kind of program to lean on. Whereas, you know, Wake Forest and Boston College, it's like they don't really bring anything stability-wise to the table. They're a little bit easier to kind of throw in as an Oregon State, Washington State kind mm-hmm. of school. So just kind of curious where you could see maybe Duke falling into things from that perspective. Well, I think you have a realistic view on Duke. I think exactly that's where they are at. They're kind of they're not they're not as desirable as let's say Clemson or Florida State. They're they're most the toughest competitor they have locally is North Carolina because UNC is a strong program and it's a big state school. It it would be more of what let's say a Big Ten might be more likely to lean towards. Um, if they were trying to expand, if the ACC were to come apart, they would be an interesting fit, as well as um, Virginia, oddly enough. But then, you know, it's not to say that Virginia Tech wouldn't be an attractive program. You know, I mean, I think Duke would, though, be in that same spot where I would say they offer more than UConn in a lot of ways, only because the Duke name is, is so powerful. Uh, Coach K, what he built down there. I mean, I, for most of my life, I think I've only thought, and I'm in my 40s, but most of my college sports life, I mean, Duke basketball has been such a, a phenomenon. Um, so I think that has helped them quite a bit. And again, pulling them into, you know, they, they have facilities, you know, they can be successful. It's not as easy as others. As, I mean, as far as football, I should say, but there is an expectation that you can win at Duke. It's not... we. Those of us who are old enough definitely remember when Duke football was way, way worse than and than many who are younger would even realize. Um, but uh, I think it's I think you're right. I think they would have that kind of middle road uh, attract attractiveness. And I think they would certainly have an easier time than, let's say, Wake. Wake, I don't know where they would end up if the ACC were to break apart. I think Duke would be one that would be attractive to, let's say, the Big 12 in the same way UConn would be. Um and it's interesting, too, once you get past – the ACC is such an interesting conference. I've never really seen it totally broken down on which teams would be the most attractive for where. I think Duke would be more attractive than Boston College because, again, it's more of a, it's more of a sports hotbed. You're pulling in, I think, a, a more interesting market. And again, I think it's a bigger name than Boston College historically, at least in the last you know, 20, 30 years. I mean, for, post-Flutie um, with Boston College, it's certainly in football. So um, I think it's a good question. I think it's it, – and where some of those teams would end up, I think we would. I would caution: there haven't been signs the ACC is going to break apart anytime soon. Only because Florida State clearly wanted to try and break them apart earlier this offseason. and then when they saw the bill, they they realized no, it can't be broken apart. We hired the lawyers that were too good to make this this deal. But I think there will be a point where the ACC starts to look when the, the moment the ACC gets at the very least when the ACC finally gets to their media deal renegotiation i'm not sure where that when that is but i know it's quite a few years relatively speaking from now then that all of a sudden all those teams are going to come into play and i think to some extent the SEC and the Big 10 are probably relieved because i don't think those programs those those conferences are in any rush to add teams in them they and they don't get me wrong they say that and if Notre Dame were to knock on the door and say like let us in they will say of course we will but uh, until that 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 moment gets forced, I think right now the Big Ten 
and the SEC are just happy to get ready for the fact that they're about to become enormous conferences. And how how does that get managed? I mean, there was a good article, I think, in the Athletic, talking about you know right now the Big Ten is working on like how do we do all these non-revenue sports that now need to make a trip from Los Angeles to you know Maryland or <laughs> New Jersey? I mean, how are we gonna how are we gonna make that logistic work? So I think to some extent those. And I mean, that was one of the things that was kind of supposedly from what the reports were seeing before Warren left the, the Big Ten, um, you know, to, to take over, the, be the president of the Bears. They, uh, he wanted to add more teams to the Big Ten and they were, he was getting some resistance from the other Big Ten members. I think they were just happy to have made this huge jump to add the USC and UCLA and they were kind of hesitant to add more. And I think maybe that would have been the window, the immediate window for, let's say, a team like uh, Oregon. Oregon and Washington to, to head over, you know, and that, that, that hesitancy, that carefulness, that uh, small C kind of con- conservatism being very kind of careful is, is certainly what guided the PAC 12 to the point where uh, probably to its detriment, because that's historically been the PAC 12's reputation. Like, yeah, we'll go slow. We'll go carefully. We'll go as a group until the point that USC and UCLA just finally said, we can't take it anymore. We're going to take all the money at the big 10, Colorado said the same thing. We're going to just bail out. I mean, one of my favorite analogies that someone put out there was, um, oh, I'm going to say yes, Tyler, his, the user was Tylex123. When, uh, when Colorado posted their official, we're heading to the Big 12, I cannot believe a team that went 1-11 last year just nuked the entire Pac-12 conference. Uh, to which case, uh, Tiger Cat 92 said, USC and UCLA built the bomb and the buffs dropped it. So, <laughs> and did they do it for the Barbenheimer memes? I don't know, but uh, that it's been an interesting, definitely an interesting thing to see uh, come together. You know, as we slowly wrap this up, because we've been going now for almost an hour and a half, just wanted to mention, because I we always like to kind of note the, the passing of teams, not that they've died, but Alderson Brodus, it was a Division II program in West Virginia. They were struggling for many years financially. Um, finally, it looks like they've been forced to close. They were a D2 football program and a sprint football program. What's sprint football? It's kind of a fun sport where you can, there's a maximum weight limit. It's like 178. It's a regular football, tackle football, but all the players had to be under 178 pounds. The military academies kick butt at that. So usually it's everyone competing against Army and Navy. But um, they are closing, both programs are closing everything because their financial situation, the state has said they can no longer grant degrees. Um, because of the financial, uh, they were owing, I believe, like $700,000 in utility bills. Um, a lot of problems there. So unfortunately, we're going to be saying goodbye to the battlers of D2. In addition, you know, lots of other things going on in college football, but we're going to go ahead and slowly wrap this up. So my name is Bob Akhairi. I want to thank all of you for joining us. I want to say, though, tomorrow at noon, we're going to have Phil Steele. He's going to be joining us for just an interview, about 30 minutes. Um, it'll turn into a recording just like this. So so on behalf of myself, Bob Akairi, on behalf of my co-host, Andrew Sagona, I want to thank all of you who joined us to give your thoughts on everything going on in college football. We do these every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. So I want to go ahead and say I'm going to hang up and listen.